today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. In other words, we're going to wipe you out. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame but the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. The day of the Lord is coming ever near. Throughout our lifetime, we must remember to live a life that honors His name. It's easy to forget that our life on earth will pass by in mere seconds compared to our eternity with Him in heaven, and judgment comes for all of us in the end. So remember to live your life in such a way that glorifies His name, for He will judge you as you have judged others. Pastor David takes a look at a similar scenario that takes place in Obadiah. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Obadiah, chapter 21, with today's edition of The Open Word. The next section, uh, the, the final section really that we're looking at in the Old Testament are the, the books of prophecy. Now, the books of prophecy are actually divided into two different categories. There's the major prophets, there's the minor prophets. The difference between these two categories has absolutely nothing to do with the importance of the message or the messenger. It all has to deal with the writing itself, the volume of the writing, how much is actually there. The bigger books are the major prophets. The smaller books are the minor prophets. The major prophets being Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations, Ezekiel and Daniel. All of those are longer in length than any of the the, the minor prophets, and their content, for the most part, uh, is actually what they call kind of a global focus. So it's not just Israel in the major prophets. Usually they're speaking about other countries and other nations surrounding Israel. A lot in them as we start talking about the Babylonian captivity. You know, we have Daniel up in uh, Babylon and all the issues and the Persian kingdom and all. So all of that comes into play with the major prophets. The major prophets, they're all grouped together, even though historically they weren't necessarily written that way, okay? Just, that's just how they put them. They put all of those major prophets together. In the same way, the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Sometimes these are simply called the 12. But anyway, they're all grouped together, and they're not necessarily in historical order either. 
These books, as I said, they're shorter in length and they have a very narrow focus, dealing usually only with one or maybe two countries at the most. But usually it's one area, one region that they're dealing with. For some of these books of prophecy, it's really difficult to determine exactly when it was, what time it was written. While for others, man, you can actually zero in almost to the, to the year, sometimes to the month, even the week and the day of exactly when a per- particular passage is written about anyway. Uh, you can look at what's called internal evidence. For some, the writer actually gives you a, a perfect time frame of the writing, blended together that what he has written as well as the historical data that we can pull uh, extra biblical and secular writings, it can give us a pretty clear understanding of the timing of the writing, or at least the timing of the event that's spoken about. Take for instance, and we could we could pick a, a tremendous amount, but just take for instance Ezekiel chapter one. In Ezekiel chapter one, he starts out in verse one, saying, "Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month." as I was among the captives by the river Chavar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. So you can zero in right to the day of what he's speaking about and when he had that vision. So we know he wrote that vision sometime shortly after he had it. Now, the whole of the books of prophecy, you gather them all together, they cover actually about 400 years. So that's a pretty wide time span. They go from about 850 BC, sometime following the death of Solomon, to around 435 BC. And that's the book of Malachi, the, the last book of the Old Testament. Then we don't have anything written at all until we get to the New Testament. So there's about 400 years of, of silence. Uh, no prophet rose up, although there was a lot going on in Israel, but no real prophet of God rose up as speaking, thus saith the Lord, until you get to that shaggy looking character with uh, locusts and honey breath, wearing camel skin by the name of John the Baptist. So uh, again, but now he is the beginning of the New Testament. Now of the, the books that we have here of the uh, prophets, Five of them were written between the death of Solomon around 850, 900, somewhere in there, from about that time, and from the time of Solomon's death to the time of the fall of the northern kingdom, so 722. So you've got about 100, 150, 175 years there. Five of the books were written during that time. Eight of them were written prior to the fall of the southern kingdom. So from about 722 to right at about 586. Eight of them were written during that, gosh, um, uh, 40-year period or so. And then four of them were written after the return from the Babylonian captivity. So after, again, they had been released and, and they came back, started rebuilding the walls and the temple coming back into the land. If you were to put them in chronological order, and, uh, if you're taking notes, this might be a little too fast for you to take notes, but it's kind of interesting because it's totally different than what we have them in our Bibles. 
We would look at many cases, and I'm going to speak tonight about Obadiah, and I'll give you the reasons why. I put Obadiah first. Obadiah would be around 845 B.C., and Joel would be about the same time. Sometime after that is, again, the story or the writings, the events of Jonah, Amos, and Hosea, just about the same time. After them, or right around that same time, these kind of blend together, comes Isaiah and and Micah. And all of those two, Isaiah and Micah, those are happening right around that that time frame of the fall of the northern kingdom. And so they're warning the southern kingdom, hey, look, look what's going on up here. Pay attention to what's happening. Then around 650 to 612, we get Nahum and followed by Jeremiah, uh, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Daniel. Uh, again, Daniel is up in the captivity. That point in time, we see his writings, Ezekiel and Lamentations, all of that happening after the fall of the southern kingdom. Then we have Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. Now, with, with all of those, we're, we're going to try and take them in some kind of a sequential order. Not necessarily the order, well, definitely not the order that you have in your Bible unless you have a chronological Bible. So really what we're going to be looking at tonight, first of all, is the book of Obadiah. So if you got your Bibles, uh, hopefully you didn't bring just a uh, pocket knife. You got the full sword. It's got Old Testament and New Testament in there. Obadiah might be a little hard to find. It is the shortest book of the Old Testament. The only two books that are shorter than it are John 2 and uh, John 3. Uh, Again, I think John 2 is 13 verses, or 14 verses, John 3 is 13. Obadiah is like 21 or 23 verses long, 21 verses long. So again, to find it, if you can find Daniel, then turn to the right, go through Hosea and Joel and Amos, then you should come to Obadiah. Now, if you hit Jonah or Micah, You've gone too far, make a U-turn, go back a couple of short blocks, and you'll find Obadiah. Okay. Again, it's only like a, a page or two pages long. Not only is Obadiah the shortest book in the Old Testament, it's actually contested in its dating. Like I said, I put it first uh, through uh, some of my studies. Uh, again, you see some put it during this time. Some put it uh, that they believe that it was actually written after the southern kingdom was exiled up into Babylon. So that would have kicked it about 300 years different than, than what we're looking at tonight. They would put it around that uh, after that 586 B.C. time frame. Again, others believe, uh, and, and I agree with this uh, statement, is that it was actually written earlier, uh, written earlier perhaps just shortly after the northern and the southern kingdom split apart. Remember from Solomon's son Rehoboam, who uh, again mistreated the people and the people rebelled, the northern kingdom went away and the southern kingdom stayed. Some say that it's around that time frame that this was written, which would put it in the mid to early 800 BCs. So for our study tonight, that's what we're going to go with. It makes absolutely no difference really in the interpretation of the book, but uh, because we do see some similarities at, at both times, during the time of the captivity going into exile, as well as uh, some of the events that are going to be going on that we're going to be looking at this evening. Now, located to the southeast of the Dead Sea are the people that are called Edomites, the Edomites. They live in the land of 
Edom. Okay, you guessed it. All right, good job, good job. So they live in the land of Edom. Now, the Edomites, they were descendants of a fellow by the name of Esau. They were descendants of Esau. Remember Esau, the uh, twin brother of uh, Jacob. Jacob, who later became known as Israel, the land, the people of Israel, named after the children of Israel. So the, from Esau came the Edomites. And again, uh, the Edomites, they were, they were a close cousin to the people of Israel, but they continued to be a real sore spot for Israel. Maybe you've got cousins like that. I don't know. Uh, I know I did when I was growing up. Most of us get along well now, but uh, in earlier days, I had some cousins like that. Even as uh, Moses was leading the people from Egypt uh, across the wilderness, when they came to the land of Edom, if you remember your Old Testament history, that the, the Edomites, the leaders and the people said, no, you can't go through here. And they said, look, we're not going to take anything. We'll, we'll, we'll stay on the road. We've got our own resources. We just want to pass through here. And they wouldn't let them. So again, even after the children of Israel finally settled into the land of Canaan, got into the promised land, well, there continued to be several of these ongoing battles and skirmishes, some of them major, some of them minor, these border wars that kept going on all the way until finally the time that uh, King David came and he, he, he conquered Edom. And then he required them then to start paying tribute to Israel. So for uh, many years, they were under the authority of King David. After about 200 years, they revolted when King Jehoram was king of Judah. And so we see that that's where they're at now at that point in time. Now, it was during that particular reign, the reign of King Jehoram, as the king of Judah. We're putting this around 848 to 841 BC. That's when the Philistines and some of the other Arab countries in the area, they came and they invaded Judah and they nearly destroyed Jerusalem even at that early date. Much of that invasion came from the east and guess what country they were allowed to go through to get to Israel? through Edom. So the Edomites let these guys go through, not only to attack Israel, but one of the other things that we find out, the leadership and the people of Edom, they did absolutely nothing to assist their cousins, the people of Judah. And eventually we we find that they joined in in the invasion, even though really and truly they, they were a related people. Now that's the basis of the message of Obadiah. As he writes, he writes it to the people and to the leaders of Edom. I was raised with three brothers, okay? Four brothers, no girls. Bless my mother's heart. She, she, she made it through all of her life without having to be institutionalized. But uh, with, with four boys, one of the things, I, I don't know if every family was like this, but we four boys, we fought a lot, each other a lot. Uh, you know, my parents would leave, they'd be gone for five minutes, they'd come back and something would be broken. 
you know, we, we, we'd get along most cases, but invariably they'd be gone and we'd be doing fine. And then somebody would say something, somebody would do something. Suddenly uh, the, the fight was on. And sometimes it was uh, the two middle brothers, myself and my next youngest brother against the oldest brother and the baby. Uh, sometimes it's the two old ones against the two youngest. It was just that kind of a deal. It was just the way I grew up. But one thing, If in our life somebody came against one of us, guess what? All four of the brothers would gang up. You don't mess with one. Now, we would fight internally, but we would then come alongside and stand up for you. Now, we might smack the other one after that, you know, because why did you let that happen or whatever? But that's just kind of the way it was. Now, as bad as the relationship was between Israel and Edom, The issue that Obadiah brings to us is, first of all, why they didn't come to the assistance of Israel in her time of need. That's the first big deal. Why didn't you help your, your brother during their time of need? And secondly, why was it that you even came to the point where you yourself came against your brother while the enemy was attacking them? And for that, that's the reason that God is bringing judgment against Edom. First of all, we see that Edom did nothing at all when the enemy came in. They stood literally on the other side even as uh, the enemy came through. Look at chapter one, uh, verse 10. Look down at verse 10. The Lord writing this or speaking this against Edom. For violence against your brother Jacob, Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. So first of all, you guys stood by. You let the enemy go through your land and attack your brother. You didn't help him at all. Secondly, The people of Edom, actually, they got pretty excited. They were happy about the fact that the enemy was coming in against Israel. Look there in verse 12. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So you can you could just imagine. I mean, I can imagine again going growing up with my brothers. I, man, how how weird that would be if somebody was over here beating up on me, and my brothers over here across the street said, "Right on, man, get him, get him, get him." Well, that's what was going on with Edom. They're saying, yeah, give it to him, give it to him. As a matter of fact, you can go through my backyard to get to his yard. And that's what the whole story was. Thirdly, we find then not only were they, did they allow them to go through, they stood by and did nothing. Not only did they rejoice in the fact, but they actually entered into the attack and they stole from the people of Israel while they were being under attack. Look at verse 13. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. It's just getting worse and worse. So now, while you're sitting there fighting, somebody comes up and starts picking your pocket, and it's your own brother. 
you know, while, while somebody's beating up on you, he's going into your room and stealing all your good stuff. So this is the idea, this is what's going on, and God's bringing judgment. But it doesn't end there. Fourthly, we find that they actually joined in really in the fight, attacking the people of Israel. As they were under attack from these other forces, the Philistines and and others, they started running and they tried to run through the land of Edom, trying to escape any way that they can. Look at verse 14. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. What the leaders and and, and what the people of Edom did was wrong in, in every sense of the word. Even if I'm mad at my brother, I'm not gonna rejoice that somebody else has beaten him up. Even if I'm really upset at my brother, if he's under you know, an attack over here, I'm not gonna walk up behind him and pick his pocket or get into his room and steal his stuff. No, nor am I gonna jump with somebody else. That's what God is saying. You guys were related, you're brothers, and you did not help them. So from the time that Moses brought the children of Israel through the wilderness until this time here, Edom has been so against Israel, even though Jacob and Esau, if you remember the story that we find in Genesis, Jacob and Esau, they made up. I mean, they they had conflict before, but when Jacob started coming back, Esau went out to meet him and they blessed each other and they did well. But again, the people beyond that is what we see. So with all of this, now God is gonna send punishment on Edom. Look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. In other words, we're gonna wipe you out. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. As a matter of fact, after about 72 AD, we never hear of any other Edomites at all. They're, they're gone. History has, has taken them away as though they had never been. God fulfilled his promise to them as a judgment against him. Now again, uncertain of the exact dating, but many believe that it was around the same time of Obadiah when the prophet Joel came in on the scene. Uh, his, his message was direct right to the southern kingdom, to Judah. So go to your left a couple of blocks, a couple of books over to the book of Joel. Now, it's another short message. It's only uh, three chapters long, but it's power-packed. It's a story of uh, locust plagues and God's deliverance. We, we see, again, God's hand working, not only bringing a, a time of judgment on his people, but then when they return, he's gonna bring deliverance. And isn't that the story, really, of, of redemption for us all? In our rebellion against God, There's judgment on us. The word says that we're we're condemned already. Uh, Outside of Christ, we are condemned already. 
But God then offers to us the sacrifice of Jesus that once we, again, repent and turn from our sin and turn back to God, covered by the blood of Christ, we now have redemption, we now have reconciliation. Well, that's the story of Joel. Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so... Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word. Make us more.